0: All right, if you're just joining us, you're here just in time to kick off a brand new uh, series with us, uh, which is entitled, When Life Disappoints. And I want to encourage you, if you have Bibles, either uh, physically or electronically, to open it to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, beginning at verse 33. I'm reading the new international version. And we're going to read 33 and 34 and skip to 37 through 39. If you don't have a Bible, it's all right. We're going to put it up on the screen for you. And I'm going to encourage everybody to stand and honor the reading of God's word. Listen to Mark as he writes about Jesus who's at the moment of this writing is dying on the cross. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out. Everybody shout, cried out. Cried out out in a loud voice. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabatini, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 37, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion, the soldier who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died. Everybody say, saw how he died. He said, surely, certainly, this man was the son of God. Shout amen. Please be seated, God. We look to you now. Amen. Amen. Uh so for the next uh several weeks as we go from here to Easter we're going to take some time to look at what is commonly known as the seven last words or the seven last statements of Jesus spoken from the cross during the process of his crucifixion. Uh the gospels by that I mean Matthew, Mark, Luke and John the first four books of the New Testament, all reflect on Jesus' last words. And Luke, for example, uh, reflects on three words that are unique to Luke. Uh, there we'll find Jesus praying for his father to forgive those who were crucifying him. There in Luke we'll find Jesus saying to a man, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. There in Luke you'll find Jesus in the ultimate act of trust, declaring, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. The Gospel of John has a, a different set of three words that are unique to John. There in John, you'll find Jesus saying to his mother, Mother, behold your son, son, behold your mother, as he makes provision for another person to step up and fulfill the role of eldest son in her life. There. You'll hear Jesus cry out, I thirst, and there in John, you'll hear him say, it is finished. It is only in Mark and Matthew that we find the unique word that we're going to kind of look at today together. Uh, Mark, although the New Testament begins with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark is actually the oldest of the Gospels, and so we're going to start with the very first Gospel, and uh, they only highlight one word that Jesus speaks, and particularly Mark. And I think uniquely so because Mark is writing this gospel to a, a community of Jesus followers who were being persecuted at the time. And, 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 and they're kind of in the middle of disappointment because they thought that once they said yes to following Jesus, kind of life would smooth out. And here they are in the midst of persecution. So Mark wants them to hear and see Jesus as he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, the first thing that comes to mind as we think about this text together is that if you have an instinct that says, Life is unfair. I want to affirm for you today that instinct is correct. Tell the person next to you, yes, life is unfair. Tell them. It's just not fair. It's, it's broken. The Bible says it's impacted by sin. And so a lot of crazy stuff happened to people that ought not to be happening. And clearly you see this as we think about Jesus Christ on the cross, whose name is synonymous with love and mercy and grace who acts are defined by feeding the hungry and and touching the untouchable and loving the marginalized, surely it's not fair for him to be on the cross. So the very first thing that sounds off from the cross is that, yes, life is unfair. Almost every day I run into people in the midst of the unfairness of life who's being regularly disappointed. The... A couple who was informed that most likely infertility will not permit them to bear children. Life is unfair. The parents who welcome their new child into the world only discover that that child has severe special needs. And their dreams and hopes have been dashed for both themselves and the child. The, the spouse whose husband worked out five, six times a week was in tremendous physical condition and yet unexpectedly died. True story. Life is unfair. The, uh, the college grad who could not wait to graduate so they could get, their, get them a job and get their own kind of penthouse in Silicon Valley. <laughs> and a year later, they're living, still living with their parents because they can't afford <laughs> their own spot in Silicon Valley. The family that's about to make the decision, perhaps, between staying here in Silicon Valley where... Uh, They've they've got jobs that they like. Uh, The weather uh, historically has been good. Uh. (laughs) Uh, And they even like the church that they go to. But they're now between choosing to keep those things and conceding, giving up their dream of owning their own home. Because the average house in Silicon Valley is a million point three. Are leaving these things that they love so well to move to another part of the country so they can have their own home. How unfair is that? And in so many different ways, life disappoints us. We have small disappointments. We have these huge crushing disappointments. So part of the argument today and for the next several weeks is it's incredibly important for us to figure out how to learn to work through disappointment because if we don't work through disappointment, disappointment can impact us in some pretty negative and destructive ways. Now. I think tonight the Oscars are on. Is that right? Anybody keep up with the Oscars? All right. Well, there are a number of movies out there contending for the winning Oscar. The one that I'm actually pulling, there are several that I, uh, several I really, really like. But one of them that I like is Fences. And uh, it's a great sc- screenplay that Denzel Washington has uh, uh, purchased the rights to and him and Viola Davis they do a tremendous job uh, in, inside of this, this incredible... So if you haven't seen it, I would encourage you to go see it. Uh, pull it down on Comcast or whatever it is that you, you watch. It's well worth watching. Those of you who have seen it, you know that contending with disappointment is a, is a, is a theme that works its way through. For example, uh, Denzel plays a fellow by the name of Troy who in his early life was a gifted baseball player. But because of racism of his day, he was passed over. Now, here's the point. When we deal with certain disappointments, it's not that we get trapped in disappointment. But disappointment has a way of getting trapped in us and causing bitterness and eclipsing our view of the future. And because Troy got passed over, that That disappointment got trapped within, and when his son, the next generation, had a legitimate chance to play football, he did not allow him that opportunity, and that came out of Troy's own bitterness. So here's my point. We've got to figure out how to handle our disappointments because if we don't, our disappointments will handle us and not only mess up our lives but help, but cause us to mess up other folk lives. <laughs> How we handle disappointment? Let me tell you one more thing about this. I thought I, I'm into the... This is my Oscar weekend, so I'm really into some of this stuff here. So I'm going to do something that I typically don't do. I'm going to read... Um, I'm going to read a little piece out of this movie to, to drive this home. And if it's not interesting to you, that's okay. Just pretend like it's interesting to you. (laughs) All right. Now listen. Making this point about disappointment. Uh, Troy has told Rose, his wife, about a, a horrible thing he's done that really crushes her heart. And his excuse is that he's been stuck in the same place for 18 years. Somebody shout disappointment. Here's Rose's, his wife's response. I've been standing with you. I've been right here with you, Troy. I got a life too. I gave 18 years of my life to stand in the same spot with you. Don't you think I've ever wanted other things? Later she says, you're not the only one who gets wants and needs. But I held on to you, Troy. I took all my feelings, my wants and needs, my dreams, and I buried them inside of you. I planted a seed and watched and prayed over it. I planted myself inside of you and waited to bloom. And it didn't take me not 18 years to find out that the soil was hard and rocky and it wasn't never going to bloom but I held on to you. I held you tighter. You was my husband. That's where it ends. Here's what's going on in the scene. I'm talking about disappointment. Uh, what, 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 what Rose is contending with is she's saying, Troy... Your disappointment has blinded you to the sacrifice that other people are making around you for you. And your disappointment has become an excuse for you to do some crazy stuff. But then she said, well, check it out. You're not the person I thought you were when I married you. By the way, let me make this point. No one marries the person they think they are married. <laughs> I, I know some folk who've been married three times, and they haven't figured this out yet. <laughs> Elizabeth uh, Taylor was married fourteen times, and she never figured it out. That you always end up marrying the ideal, right? The fantasy. And it takes just a little short while for some people it's like two weeks for the fantasy to die right and that's where the real work starts where you decide whether or not it's worth it for me to pay the cost of love to engage with your brokenness in order for a new something to be born and that's what Rose was saying, talking about disappointment. That was, She said, man, I planted myself in you. I thought I could bloom in you. And I discovered that you weren't who I thought that you were. And, and as a matter of fact, you're just rock and stony ground. And I can't bloom in you. But I didn't use that as an excuse to do crazy stuff. Oh, no. I reframed my expectations. Rose says, I know how to deal with disappointment. it made all the difference tell the person next to you how you deal with disappointment will make all the difference All right, come on Jesus teach us here surely you're in the midst of broken life surely you're in the midst of great disappointment here you are the savior of the world the, uh, the, the epitome of an obedient life here you are being crucified dying the most brutal death on the planet For stuff you didn't do, surely you can help us, teach us how to deal with disappointment. All right? The first lesson comes out of what the text, what I want to frame as the cry. Everybody say cry. All right? Here's here's where it is in the text. It says this. At noon, darkness came across the whole land till three in the afternoon. Watch this. It says, at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out. And just so that you get it, they come back and say it again in a different way with a loud voice. So I want to take that and and start at the first word. At three o'clock, Jesus cried. C R I E D. There was a cry that came out. Here's the first point. I want to argue that one of the most powerful things to help you and me work through great disappointment happens to be our tears. Tell the person next to you, your tears are powerful. Tell them. (laughs) The Bible talks about the power of tears in a variety of ways throughout this text. It's easily missed. For example, in Psalms uh, 6, verse 6, if they will throw that up there, uh, and David is actually doing the writing. He says, I'm worn out from my Groaning all night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. Let me point out this is a guy writing. The psalmist says in Psalms 42, verse 3, he says, My tears have been my food both day and night, as the people. Uh, Been taunting me saying, Where is your God? This is this is most likely David writing. This is a guy writing. Jesus specifically, as a person who will weep. uh, Luke verse chapter 18, verse 19 says that as he approached the city of Jerusalem, when he saw the city, he what? Wept over it. And you know the shortest verse in the Bible, which is as he's standing at the graveyard of his dear friend Lazarus. It simply says in uh, chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus. So while it's not as explicit here in this text, I'm very confident that if Jesus wept over the waywardness of the city of Jerusalem, if Jesus wept. Uh, Over the loss of a dear friend, Lazarus, who he was about to raise from the dead, surely Jesus, with nails in his hands and nails in his feet and thorns on his head, having been rejected by those he came to save, with his relationship feeling severed between him and the eternal father, surely there was some tears. So I just, just as a point of practicality, I think it's a pretty powerful thing to be able to cry. You know, scientists tell us that there are at least three different types of tears that we cry. One is more reflective, the other kind of keeps our eyes smoothed and uh, kind of... keeps them being being infected, but the, 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 the bulk of what we know is crying is what they call emotional crying. And what they say is, and, 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 and before I tell you this, it reminds me of when I was a kid growing up, and I'd go to the funerals that we'd have, and, and someone who lost a loved one would be grieving extremely hard. And I just remember my grand-aunt saying repeatedly uh, in those settings, because uh, she was an ursher and she would help take care of people, and I remember her saying, "Let it out, baby, let it out, baby, let it out, baby, let it out. Well, scientists have now told us that in fact that 's what we do when we 're crying that that there are that there are uh, 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 toxins created by our stress that 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 flow out of us rather than settling in us when we allow ourselves to cry. And at the same time, endorphins, which is that, 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 that hormone inside of us that on the one hand didn't pain for us and on the other hand uh, helps us to get that euphoric feeling uh, 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 that crying has a way of releasing endorphins. So as one psychiatrist says that the person who cries is the person who's able to be a part of the healing of her or his own heart. Now, I always direct this to the guys because, because we grew up, it used to be that guys alone had issues with crying. But Today, because women are trying to compete with guys in the, in the public workspace, and you, you, you all of them fool around and adopted the same crazy logic that we had for all this time that somehow I'm not supposed to cry because that's going to make me look weak. Well, I'm just here to tell you, if Jesus could weep, y'all ain't listening to me, then surely I need to be able to cry sometime. <clears throat> Come on, tell the person next to you, it's all right to cry. Tell them. Tell the other person, it's powerful to cry. Tell them. I know some of us guys would think, well, no, but we had uncles who told us that, uh, that, 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 that men who cry are crybabies. Your uncle didn't know what you were talking about. That's what my uncle told me. Right. That one of the ways to work through horrendous disappointment is to let some tears fall. All right, check this out. If we let tears fall and get it out that way, it'll help us not to get it out in some other ways. All right. All right. So I just, I just, you know, one of the most powerful things that I saw, and you guys get this. I, I, didn't, I, I forgot to say this at the first two gatherings, though so aren't you happy you came to 12 noon? One of the most powerful things I've saw in a political context, whatever your politics is, I'm not trying to uh, impact your politics. But in 2012, when 20 kids were murdered in Sandy Hook Elementary School. Y'all remember that? In, in Newtown, Connecticut. And the kids were between the age of 5 and 6 years old, 20 of them, plus 6 adults. And President Obama was giving a news conference. And as he started to think about these young 5, 6-year-old kids, for the first time that I ever remember, I saw the President of the United States literally cry on camera. I don't know if y'all remember that, but... Tears. He first started wiping and just tears, just streaming down. And I thought that that was one of the most incredible moments in our national collective history. Because what the president of the United States was showing us at that particular time, regardless of your politics, that what, what he was showing us at that particular time was he was saying to America, you know, there are some things that are so horrible, it's okay to cry. As a matter of fact, the only way you're going to get through them is to cry. And so if the president can cry, y'all ain't listening. If Jesus can cry, come on, I sure enough can cry. And you need to be able to cry every now and then. Whatever your gender, crying is powerful. So Jesus cried. Then the text says he cried out in a loud voice what 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 did he say my god my god why did thy why has thy why have you i'm using old king james verse why have you forsaken me well what he's actually articulating is a prayer shout prayer and in this moment he rips all of the pretense off of a prayer he, he, he illustrates in a way that i tried to illustrate for the last several weeks as I've taught about prayer. But Jesus illustrates this powerful truth uh, in an incredible way that when, 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 it's, when it's time to pray, that at the end of the day, prayer is nothing less and nothing more than having a direct, honest conversation with God. It's not about, you know, getting, getting in the right posture because Jesus hanging from the cross. He couldn't get on his knees. He's just in the middle of his distress. He's in the middle of life disrupted. He's in the middle of horrendous pain, not in a temple. He's not in a church like this. And, 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 and he just cries out to God this, this prayer. There are no these and thou's in it. There's no most holy one on the other side of the grand eternity of life in it. Come on. No, no. Jesus is just real. Come on. He just said, hey, my God, my God, you and me. Come on now. Why have you abandoned me? That's what real prayer is. And sometimes, you know what? We want to scream at God. And God says, "I can take it, scream." And sometimes we want to shout, we want to yell at God. And Jesus is, is is illustrating as he prays to the Father. He said, "Look, that's all right. You know, yell and scream and 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 and, and, and get it out. Be honest with the Father. Maybe if you yell at the Father, come on at at at, at God, you won't have to yell at your kids." Come on now, maybe if you scream at God in the morning about all the stuff you're upset with that you feel like God has kind of abandoned you, then you don't get upset when somebody cuts you off the road and you want to beat somebody up. Because your fuse is short. Come on. My point is that stuff comes out no matter. It comes out. And God says, I welcome you. I just want your honesty. I just want your honesty. You know, I'm I'm God. You can't change that. So just go ahead and be honest. By the way, I already know. So why are you going to pretend? Come on. Tell me what I know. Well, you say, well, if you know it, why do I need to tell you? Because your telling is for you, not for me. It, 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 It gives an authenticity to our relationship. Shout prayer. prayer. All right? Then there's scripture. Shout scripture. The prayer that he's praying on the cross, he is actually quoting scripture in order to pray that prayer. It's Psalms 22 is what he's, what he's quoting. Uh, and the psalmist writes in Psalms 22 verse 1, uh, my God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? W- so far from my cries Of anguish. Jesus is quoting this. Now, here's a great lesson, and I hope you guys will do this during the season of prayer. It's an opportunity to start reading through scripture, internalize scripture. You might decide that you're going to study through the, the Psalms. That's the prayer book of the Bible. You know, just a a Psalm, a a day or a week, however you want, they're different, uh, sides, but you're going to, and as you, as you, as you read across those Psalms that really speak to you, highlight them. This is what I would do. I, I, I highlight them. And I write them out and I commit them to memory uh, because God's word has a way of coming back when you most need it. And, And here's Jesus on the cross. I'm sure his pain left him kind of voiceless. How do I articulate what I'm feeling? And then what comes up in his spirit is this scripture. And he's able to shout this scripture out. That's the value of knowing God's word. Not so you can be super holy or super righteous, but so that when your life is pressed up against the wall of life, A word will pop up, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So that when you get a bad diagnosis and you're thinking about, am I going to live or die? A word pops up. You say, yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I shall fear no evil. That's the value of having the word internalized. And when you're feeling weak, you can declare, for the Lord is the strength of my life. He's my strength and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You don't have to grasp for it. The Holy Spirit, Scripture said, Holy Spirit will bring it back. You just have to get it in. Wow. Shout Scripture. We see that. Here's my point. You want to work through successfully, you're you're dealing with disappointment, learn to cry. You want to work through successfully, you're dealing with big disappointment, learn to pray. Talk to God. That's what we're going to be practicing. Over this season, you want to you learn to work through disappointment and come out on the right end of things? Come on, internalize and learn how to lean on God's word. What's remarkable is that Jesus prayed and quoted scripture. His circumstances didn't change in that moment. But you know what happened? He found the strength to endure. Until his change. And here's the last point. Everybody shout confession. Practically speaking, how do I work this thing through? I bet you, Rose, if she was here, she would tell you just given her context. She learned how to cry. She knew how to pray. She leaned in on scripture. That's drawing from the resources of her faith and then ultimately she learned how to be honest in that moment how to be honest with others about where she was see here's my deal can you say transparency first with god and then with others here's my deal what really crushes us is not simply the weight Of the horrific pain. What really crushes us. Is the weight of the horrific pain. Plus. The weight of trying to pretend. That I'm not hurting. It's both of those things. It's the pain and the pretension. It's the hurt. And the hiding the hurt. That's what kills me. That's what, that's what sends me into dark places, not just the pain, but the need to hide it. And what Jesus shows us, he cries out. Everybody can hear it. That's how we can regard it. He, he, he declares it. Now listen, I say people who are going through grief after they've lost a, a family member, I always tell people, when the funeral is over or the memorial is over, Most of the people attending, for them, life returns to normal. And they don't mean any harm, but they kind of expect for your life to return to normal also. But anyone who's ever lost somebody close to you, know that when that loss occurs, your life doesn't return to normal. It has to create a new normal. And I tell my folk, it takes a year. At least to work through the initial, not three hours, not a week plus a bottle. <laughs> a year of going through all the first anniversary, birthday, etc. So I said, you got to learn to be transparent. So I tell them, I said, I said to the ladies, I say if you're sitting at your desk and something, a song or something strikes you. And you start crying. Just say, excuse me, I'm grieving. Go to the bathroom. And, and just, just have your, just cry it out. And when you finish, get in your purse, get your makeup, put it back on. Go right back. <laughs> on. But let folk know I'm still grieving because they forgot. I say to God, I say to God, you, you, you feel the cry, you feel it coming on. Come on. All right. Here's the deal. Remember Superman when he's Clark clip? He goes into the booth and you hear some rattling in the booth. Come on now. And then he comes out. He's Superman. All right. All right. I want you to go in the bathroom. Cry. Come on now. When you come out, you won't be Superman, but you'll be a better man. And just let folks know, I'm grieving. Come on, let's practice this. Come on, say it out loud. I'm grieving. grieving. That's transparency. Sometimes you have to remind your kids at home, I'm grieving. It comes not just with the loss of loved ones. It comes with the loss of a job. It comes with uh, any major loss in your life. You're grieving. All right, let me wrap this up here. I'm, 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 I'm basically finished. Come on, tell the person next to you, we're almost ready to go home. Tell them. <laughs> but I got to give you the theology here. All right, I just gave you the practical. Here's, here's the theology in the text for those of you trying to figure out how to just apply. All right, I want you to focus on three things really quick. One, I want you to focus on the darkness. Say darkness. Come on, say uh, the curtain. Say the soldier. Three things we want to focus on right quick. All right, here. The darkness, all right? The text says darkness came over the entire land. Folk have debated, says, where did the darkness come from? Somebody said, well, it was an eclipse. But no, it couldn't be an eclipse because eclipse, they don't last for three hours. All right? So somebody said, what's well, a sandstorm. Well, it was the wet season. So where did the darkness come because Mark would have, you know, well, the darkness, it was a supernatural thing. Uh, you want to get a picture of that, of what we mean by that in Exodus chapter 10. If you go there and read uh, verses 21 through 26, you'll see that the last plague, which was really a judgment plague at the end of the day, uh, God says to Moses, point the rod towards the sky, and then suddenly a darkness swept across the land. That meant, watch this, that meant that God was about to execute judgment. All right, so Jesus is on the cross. Yes. The darkness comes with means that God is about to execute judgment. Well, who's going to be judged? This is why I get excited. I'm just going to explain to you the theology. This this is what I believe. Now, this this is what I believe. This is the theology. This is is the good news. See, I always have to ask the question, you too, too, because you know it's not just that life has disappointed you. You've disappointed some folk. It's not just that people have done some crazy stuff to you. You've done some crazy stuff to some folk. Come on, come on. It's not just that people have messed over me. I've messed over some folk. So I've got to always ask the question. Come on. Uh, when I get think about approaching God... Who handles my bill of justice? Well, where does the justice get taken care of? Where does the, all the wrongs that I've done and I say, God, forgive me. Well, what does that mean? He just wiped that off and I just go, and he pretend like it. Never, well, what about the people been misused and been dogged out? What about that? And, and, but, but, but the death of Jesus is an answer for that. and what, and, what, and, 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 and the answer is... When Jesus cries out, "My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken me?", uh, the, the answer comes back ultimately, which is, what you are experiencing is the judgment of the Father. So that if you take the judgment now, come on now, everybody that believes in you, if you got, if you take their judgment, then they are free from judgment. That's what it means. So Paul wrote it this way. In the message version of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, here's what he says. He says, he says, he says, he says so, so God put on, God put wrong on Christ who did no wrong so that he could put us right with God. All right, here, here's what makes me excited. So when you and I ask the question, God, have you abandoned me? God, is it judgment? God, are you trying to get me for something I've done wrong? And if the, the answer is, no, son. If you have embedded your life in Jesus who died on your behalf, you know it's not judgment. Come on now. And you know I haven't abandoned you because he was there. I'm with you now. That's the good news, y'all. That's theology. All right. Shout the curtain. The curtain, all right, this gets me excited. I'm sorry. <laughs> the curtain they were talking about, those of you who studied this, you know, the big, thick curtain between what they call the Holy of Holies and the other part. Heaven, pictures of heaven drawn on it. The Holy of Holies, that's the, 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 the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, all the precious stuff. God's presence dwells there. No one could walk into the presence unless they were sin free and so once a year they had to pick the most holy person they could find which was the high priest who really wasn't all that holy <laughs> and he would bring in a, a dead offering come on uh because that's how they transferred the sin that was a whole justice question but because they knew that he wasn't perfect they would put a rope around it i always get a big joy out of singing this <laughs> And they said, now you go on in there and we got the rope. Because if he had some exposed sin, come on now, he'd fall dead. And I could see the guys out there outside say, you know, hey, hey, if we don't hear nothing. You want, you going? No, no, you going? No, 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 just pull the rope, pull the rope. But when Jesus died, absorbing the judgment for those who would put their faith in him, the curtain split, y'all. Come on. And when the curtain split, it means I don't have to put a rope on me. I can just go in, but I'm going in under Jesus' name. Hallelujah. All right, shout the soldier. Okay, here's the proof. The soldier was a roman soldier came up through the ranks knew about killing cuz that's what he did for a living he participated in crucifying jesus so he's part of the crucifixion team but the text says he watching jesus when jesus gives out the last cry which john says is the word it's finished the soldier says, "Based on how Jesus died, he's there with the full picture. He knows, he sees Jesus forgiving those who messed over him, and, oh, he's watching all this." The soldier cries out, "Surely, this was the Son of God." Now, here's what's remarkable. In his pocket, he had a coin, a Roman coin. And on the Roman coin, the back of the Roman coin, was a picture of Caesar. And, and the inscription beneath the picture suggested that Caesar was the deity. But he forgot the coin didn't matter under the cross. Seeing who Jesus was, he declared, No, it's not the guy on the coin, y'all. son of god that's his confession the one who died was not just human he was god and mark only writes this twice at the beginning of the gospel and then at this particular point we hear this soldier declare it's his confession y'all surely this is the son of god and at that very moment y'all that curtain that split open he could walk in because at that very moment is his confession that brought him into the kingdom work of God the blood that Jesus shed saved the guy killing him and if it saved the guy killing him don't you think it'll save you don't you think it'll redeem you don't you think you can trust it give God a hand praise we're finished Somebody ought to shout hallelujah. You know, for those, that's just church language. That means I feel like shouting, y'all. That's what it means. Good God, everybody. All right, then you take out your connection. Come on, y'all. Get ready to sing. You got your connection card under the response to the message. There may be some other steps you want to take, like saying yes to Jesus. You ought to check that if it's appropriate. But under response to the message, I want to challenge you to write this. and Turn the card and write this. For this week, I will share my pain with God. I'm going to be honest with God about what hurts me. And then I want you, based on this teaching, I want you to look back at what that one area that you said you wanted God to really move in your life. And I wonder now, has that changed Maybe it's some bitterness that you've uncovered. I don't know. But if it's different now based on hearing this message, put in the new thing that you need God to do in your life. Let's start this journey together. God bless.